great. You've been loading up on things from Walmart? Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. Say what now? 5% back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A. You're listening to the Already Gone Podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the murdered, the mysterious, and the lost. If you haven't listened to episode 31, which is part one of this series on the murder of Holly Brannigan, I suggest that you go back and listen to that first. It lays the groundwork for what we are covering today. Holly Brannigan died a violent and brutal death in her family home in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, during the late afternoon hours of March 28, 1979. This was also the day that Three Mile Island, located 100 miles west of Bethlehem, had its now infamous nuclear accident. Before we delve into Holly's story, I want to tell you about this month's sponsor, Blue Apron. My family looks forward to a good meal, but with our busy lifestyle, it's a challenge to shop, prep, and cook up something delicious and rewarding for dinner. Then I found Blue Apron. Their mission is to make incredible home-cooked meals accessible to everyone. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes, along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked dinners. Meals with flavorful, fresh ingredients like butternut squash risotto with Brussels sprouts and chestnuts. Doesn't that sound like the perfect fall meal? Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash already gone. Customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. Blue Apron is delicious, convenient, and so easy to use. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients, and they can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. That's blueapron.com slash already gone. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. On the day that she was murdered, Holly attended school and took the bus home. This was a day that she wasn't hampered with obligations to the Freedom High School Choir or her management duties to the boys' soccer team. Holly arrived to an empty house. Her older brother, Sean, was at a friend's home. Sean had taken the car that he shared with Holly. So that afternoon, Holly attended to the family dog, Clancy, and prepared to go out with friends that night. She had plans to be picked up around 6 p.m. and go out for pizza. Holly would not keep those plans. While on the phone with a friend, someone arrived at the Brannigan house. Holly told her friend, Sherry, I'll call you back. A few minutes later, Holly placed a call to her father's office to see if he had left for Atlantic City. Her father was attending a work conference there that week. Dick Brannigan's secretary, B, confirmed for Holly that he'd already gone. When Sherry called back around 5 o'clock, she was unable to reach Holly. When Sean called the house that evening to let Holly know he was staying over at Bobby's, he couldn't reach his sister. Holly let this person into her home, and this makes it likely that Holly knew her killer. There was no forced entry, there was no robbery, and no sign of sexual assault. It seems possible that a friend or acquaintance from her school or the neighborhood stopped by to visit. Perhaps the visit was romantic in nature, 
or the visitor hoped that it would be. Maybe they stopped by to smoke pot. Holly had a small amount of marijuana in her purse. The lack of robbery and lack of sexual assault makes me wonder if it was a friend, possibly a female friend or a classmate, or someone dressed as a police officer, a utility worker, or a repairman, which would explain Holly's phone call to her father's office. Perhaps she was trying to verify something with her dad. I was able to review some of the crime scene photos. Holly's body was found in front of a sliding glass door. She was face down on the kitchen floor with a small pool of blood beneath her body. The knife used to end her life was sticking out of her right side. I would like to know, were the blinds on that window open or closed when she was found? Did the person who killed her mean to leave her body so exposed? Anyone who came on the deck would have seen her laying there. Did the murder take place in front of that large window? Of course, the Brannigan home is set back from the road, and the neighborhood had no sidewalks, so it's not likely that a passerby would have seen the attack occur. It's also possible that Holly was attacked away from the window and fled toward it, going towards those patio doors in an attempt to escape from her killer. But Holly didn't make it. One item of note, the night that Holly died... Several local families reported receiving phone calls for the Brannigan house. Her brother and friends were frustrated that they couldn't get through to Holly. Calls made to the Brannigan house were being redirected in strange ways. Could the killer have tampered with the phone lines at the Brannigan house? Law enforcement confirmed that there were phone problems the night that she was murdered. At this late date, it's hard to pin down if other houses were experiencing problems or if only Holly's home was having trouble. If the killer did tamper with the phone lines, it makes it seem unlikely that a teenager or one of her peers was the perpetrator. While Bethlehem police investigated Holly's murder, the remaining Brannigans, Dick and Sean, stayed at the local Holiday Inn, where Holly once worked as a server. Days later, when the house was released as a crime scene and the evidence of Holly's brutal attack were cleaned up, Sean and his father moved back into the family home and Dick Brannigan would live in that house for another 35 years. Richard Brannigan says Holly was everything he wanted in a daughter. She was a good student, athletic, and had a great sense of humor. She meant everything. She and my son, I mean, that's all I had after my wife died. That's all I had to live for. But by 1979, Richard Brannigan was a man without a family. Two years after his wife died of leukemia, his 17-year-old daughter, Holly, was murdered inside the family's Bethlehem home. It goes without saying that the summer of 1979 was a difficult one for Sean and his father. Sean worked at a service station and tried to distract himself with school and his friends. His anger over what happened to Holly was simmering. Sean started telling people he knew who killed his sister. He knew when the police were closing in. Her death would not go unpunished. Dick Brannigan cautioned Sean, warned him, don't say things like that. What if the killer decided to attack Sean and silence him? In the months after Holly's murder, the community rallied around the family. Hotlines were set up, flyers were posted, and funds were raised. Bethlehem's mayor proclaimed May 10th, 1980, Holly M. Brannigan Reward Fund Day. And her classmates at Freedom High School put on a talent show and sold tickets to help boost the amount of the reward. More than $5,000 was raised. 
As the summer of 1979 progressed, prospects dimmed, tips slowed, and interest in her case waned. August 1979. Holly should be moving into a college dormitory. Instead, she's in the cemetery beside her mother, and Sean starts his sophomore year of college. September 9th, 1979. Sean is working at a service station in Hanover Township, not far from his house on Pine Top in Bethlehem. He and a co-worker, Mark Viola, set about cleaning the floor of the garage. Needing a strong solvent, they spread gasoline on the floor. Okay, let's stop here. You're probably thinking, what? Who uses gasoline to clean something? Apparently, a lot of people did. When I researched this online, there are several vintage safety films you can watch cautioning housewives not to use gasoline to get stains out of clothing because the fumes present a fire hazard. Apparently, gasoline was a popular solvent used in cleaning. Now, if we need a solvent, we use something citrus-based. But back then, you used gasoline or kerosene, particularly in an automotive setting, and people still use gasoline to clean mechanical parts when repairing cars. So it's 9.30 on Saturday morning, and we have Sean and Mark getting ready to use a power washer on the shop floor. Sean is in the gas station garage using a brush to spread gasoline on the floor. Now, I haven't been able to find photos of where Sean was working that late summer day in 1979, so when I say shop... I'm picturing one of those old-fashioned service stations with an office on one side and a two-bay garage on the other, maybe some full-service and self-service gas pumps out front. The bay doors are closed, and Sean is ready to go to work on the floor. He's spread the gasoline, he's got his brush, he's got the power washer. Something sparks. There's an explosion as the fumes ignite and the flames consume everything. Sean is trapped in the garage, struggling to escape the inferno. Mark smashes a window and pulls Sean to safety. Mark struggles to put out the flames on Sean's clothing, and Sean is begging Mark, don't leave me. Police, fire, and EMS respond. The scene is chaos. Sean's injuries are grave, and he is rushed to the hospital. Dick Brannigan is the recipient of another horrifying phone call. This time, it's about his son, Sean is alive, but he is badly burned. Dick Brannigan rushes to his only remaining child. Sean is in the intensive care unit, and it is unlikely that he will survive the severe burns sustained in the fire. While the medical team labors to save Sean's life, the Pennsylvania State Police Fire Marshal is at the service station trying to determine the origins of the fire. After reviewing the scene, they interview Mark Viola, and they interview Sean. Sean has a breathing tube and cannot speak, so investigators ask him yes or no questions. Was this an intentional act? No. Did he set the fire himself? No. Did Mark set the fire? No. Sean corroborated Mark's account of the events leading up to the explosion. Then the harder questions come. Does Sean know who killed Holly? No. Did Sean himself kill Holly? No. The explosion was a tragic accident, one that Sean Brannigan paid for with his life. Sean hung on for more than a week, succumbing to his injuries a few days before his 19th birthday. 
No criminal charges were brought against the owner of the service station or Sean's co-worker. Dick Brannigan believed that his son's death was related to the murder of his daughter. I can't imagine how Dick Brannigan felt in 1979. I'm sure he longed for the simpler days of 1977 when he was a widower with two children. His entire world was gone. His wife, both of his kids. In the space of a few years, he went from having everything. A happy family, a nice house, a secure job that paid well. And then it was gone. He still had the house. He still had his job and his health. But he was alone. As I said before, Dick Brannigan was a strong man, an army veteran, a businessman, a husband, a father. He stayed in the house on Pine Top in Bethlehem. He eventually remarried. Lee, his second wife, had three children and her family became his family. But he never stopped looking for the person or persons who murdered his daughter all those years ago. He also believed that Sean's death was not an accident and said as much in televised interviews. Brannigan retired from his job and played golf and enjoyed the children and grandchildren his new marriage provided. I understand that he was very happy with Lee, and they had a good marriage. By 2014, Dick Brannigan was in his mid-90s. He sold the house on Pine Top and moved into a senior housing complex. He passed away in March of 2016, His death came just a few days before the anniversary of Holly's murder. If you believe in heaven and the afterlife, it's nice to think that he's reunited with his children and knows the truth of their deaths. He knows who took his daughter and whether or not it was an accident that took the life of his son. Dick Brannigan was survived by his wife, her three children, and two grandchildren. I'd live with the memories, and uh, I have good ones. And of course, I have bad ones. The good memories keep him going, but the bad memories keep him up at night as the search for Holly's killer heads into its third decade. I'd like to know why. We've never come down to that. I'd like to know why. And then go on from there to have resolution. While the service station that Sean Brannigan worked at isn't there anymore, you can still stop at that location for fuel. Google Maps showed me that it's now a shell station. Holly's murder investigation was cold, but Bethlehem police still worked on it. In 1986, a criminal profile was completed by the Federal Bureau of Investigation Academy on Behavioral Sciences. Law enforcement would not discuss the findings, but use this as a tool to aid in their investigation. In 1989, on the 10th anniversary, another push was made. Law enforcement took a fresh look at the case. Local papers ran stories. And the same thing happened in 1999 and 2009. Sherry, who was the last person to speak with Holly, and Pam, the friend who came to Holly's house the morning after she was murdered to offer her a ride, are still alive and still hoping to see the killer brought to justice. County Coroner Joseph Reichel, who handled Holly's autopsy, died in 2010. Reichel served as the Northampton County Coroner for 30 years, retiring in 1992. Reichel was a pioneer in the field. He instituted education and training seminars for coroners. He also mandated that coroners' reports be maintained for future reference. The Northampton County District Attorney, John Morganelli, 
stated that he would make Holly's case a priority. A grand jury convened in 2010, and they heard testimony from 30 people about the case. But there wasn't enough information or evidence to pursue criminal charges. At some point, the murder weapon, the knife with the broken blade, was sent for DNA testing. The results were inconclusive. Is the bloodstained towel actually in evidence, or is it wishful thinking for those who remember Holly and hope to see her case closed someday? Detective Mark Deluzio of the Bethlehem Police Department was assigned this case in the early 2000s. In 2014, he was promoted to chief of police in Bethlehem. I contacted him asking for an update on the case or a quote for this episode, and as of Wednesday, November 16th, he had not responded. If you have any information in the Holly Brannigan cold case, you're asked to call Bethlehem Police at 610-865-7162. Before we delve into theories, I would like to remind you of this week's sponsor. If you haven't tried Blue Apron, I hope you will take advantage of the special offer and support this show. Plus, you get your first three meals free with free shipping. It's such a good deal. Check out blueapron.com slash alreadygone. With the death of Dick Brannigan in 2016, there is no one beating the drum for Holly. No one left to call the Bethlehem police and ask if the case is still being investigated. Holly doesn't have a sibling or grieving parent to ask if anyone else took a look at the fingerprint that's not quite good enough for APHIS. So we're going to talk about some theories and we're going to ask some questions. Holly was an attractive 17-year-old girl. She was well aware of human mortality after watching her mother slowly decline under the persistent grind of cancer. Holly lived. She dated. She had a boyfriend or two. And maybe Holly was sexually active. What if Holly, a senior in high school with big plans for college, was dating another senior, someone who also has big plans for their future? If Holly was sexually active, could she have thought that she'd become pregnant What if, because of hormones or poor tracking or just bad luck, Holly's period was late? Maybe she confided in her boyfriend that she was late, that she was worried, that there was a possibility that she was pregnant. Then, what if her boyfriend went to his father and told him about Holly's pregnancy, told his father that he was worried, that if Holly was pregnant, he was going to do the right thing, finish high school and start working so he could provide for his child? Or maybe this young man didn't like what Holly was saying, didn't want to accept responsibility for his actions and killed her in a fit of rage. Or his father, determined to protect his son's future, killed Holly. Of course, this is just a theory. For the record, Holly Brannigan was not pregnant. Holly was stabbed many times. There were about 20 wounds in all. 15 of them would have been fatal on their own. Two or three of those of the wounds were less serious, and another two or three of the wounds were defensive, where she held up her hands and arms trying to block the attack. The person that killed her used a knife with such force the blade was snapped in two. That's a lot of power and a lot of anger. Holly's father, Dick Brannigan, worked for a cement company in Philadelphia. So it's the 1970s, and organized crime is active in big cities. Could Brannigan have angered the wrong person? Could he have drawn the attention of organized crime and brought them to his door? Could this have led to his daughter being a victim? Law enforcement explored the theory and dismissed it. I don't see Holly's murder, a rage-filled personal attack, overkill, 
being the work of organized crime. I also don't see a mafia enforcer needing to grab a knife from the kitchen to do a job. They're professionals. They come prepared. Something else that was brought to my attention while researching this case are the actions of Holly's friends. When Pam arrived in the morning to take Holly to school and Holly didn't answer the door, Pam started to walk up the steps to the kitchen windows for a look inside. She claimed that she had a premonition of danger and instead of investigating, she got in her car and drove away. Could Pam have known that something was amiss or did she walk up the steps and see her friend's body? Holly was on the ground, her face inches from the window, and flee? I wouldn't blame her. While Holly and her friends are in their late teens, these are children with developing brains. If she walked up those steps and saw Holly's body, can you imagine the horror she must have felt? The terror that would have gripped her? This was a girl who, like Holly, had recently lost her mother. Another death, especially one so violent, so close to home? That's so much loss in a young person's life. Pam and Sherry cooperated with law enforcement. Many of the students that knew Holly did not. Their parents intervened. Lawyers were called. While law enforcement spoke to those Holly was closest to, other teens were not as forthcoming and not as available. Vital information might have been missed. Mark Viola, Sean's friend from the filling station, has had very limited contact with law enforcement in the years since 1979. Some might describe him as reluctant to discuss the death of his friend. Mark knew Holly through his friendship with Sean. Mark is someone that Holly would have led in the house. There is no evidence linking Mark to Holly's murder. Of course, that's not saying much. There doesn't seem to be evidence pointing in one direction or another. Law enforcement cleared Mark in the explosion that took Sean's life in the fall of 1979. Was Sean murdered? Did Mark or someone else conspire to close him in that garage with the gasoline fumes and set them alight? Like his younger sister, Sean died a terrible, painful death. The explosion at the service station, while tragic and horrible, seems like a really risky way to harm or kill a person. It's possible the fumes wouldn't have ignited, or Sean could have walked out or opened a bay door, or taken other steps that would have easily prevented the deadly fire. No one has ever been arrested or charged in Holly's murder. The boy Holly dated in high school is still alive, but his father has passed away. Could he or his siblings know more about the death of Holly Brannigan than they let on? Holly's story has taken on an almost mythical quality in Bethlehem. Her name is spoken in whispers and hushed tones. Her murder is talked about by teenagers like an urban legend. Will Holly appear in your mirror if you say her name three times? Will the boogeyman who snuffed out her life all those years ago show up at your door, offering a reasonable explanation to enter your home? Beware. Holly was a good kid. She sang in the choir. She managed the boys' soccer team. She helped out at home, trying to fill the role her mother left years earlier. If a good kid like Holly could become the victim of a nameless, faceless killer, could it happen to you? Tom Galloway of the Bethlehem Police Department is currently handling her case. In a recent interview, he said that the suspects they are looking at are all alive and well. It's possible that if someone knows something about Holly's death, perhaps noticed injuries to someone in the days after her murder, or a shift in behavior or an unusual focus on Holly and her family, that they have information that could benefit the investigation.
If you are interested, there is a Facebook group that you can join or follow in memory of Holly Brannigan. While you are on Facebook, join the already gone discussion group to talk about the cases we cover. Just ask to be added and one of our lovely moderators will take care of it. There will be a new episode next Thursday, despite the Thanksgiving holiday in the U.S., an interview with journalist Jim Friedman. He's been tracking Holly's case for several years and provides insight and information on Holly, her circle of friends, and the aftermath of her murder on Bethlehem. Please check out this week's sponsor, blueapron.com slash already gone for a special offer. And you can support the show by subscribing on iTunes or your podcast app. And please leave a five-star review. This helps others discover the show and the cases covered here. Thank you to Dave D. Davis. Someone with a string of emojis as their name also left a very nice review, as well as HL Art, that sports card show. And since this seems to be the week of uh, reviewers whose names I can't say, E-O-S-V-K-N-S-H-T-N-R-O-C-D-N-O. Thank you. As always, a big thank you to Luke Superior. He creates the music you hear each week. You can find Luke on SoundCloud. And thanks to you, the listeners, and please be safe.
You've been loading up on things from Walmart. Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. Say what now? 5% back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A. 